more apparent to me than when I read a more familiar translation. So hear the word of God. Oh, it's provided for you in your bulletin if you want to follow along. Anyone who sins breaks God's law. Yes, sinning is the same as living against God's law. You know that Christ came to take away people's sins. There is no sin in Christ. So whoever lives in Christ does not continue to sin. If they continue to sin, they have never really understood Christ and have never known him. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you into the wrong way. Christ always did what was right, so be good like Christ. You must do what is right. The devil has been sinning since the beginning. Everyone who continues to sin belongs to the devil. The Son of God came for this, to destroy the devil's work. Those who are God's children do not continue to sin because the new life God gave them stays in them. They cannot keep sinning because they have become children of God. So we can see who God's children are and who the devil's children are. These are the ones who are not God's children, those who don't do what is right and those who do not love their brothers and sisters in God's family. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you be with us um, in the proclamation of your word. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are the one who has the words of life and we don't have anywhere else to turn except to you. We pray this morning that our hearts would be prepared and uh, our wills uh, made agreeable to receive what it is that you have for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now watch this. All right. I don't know if you found this passage alarming, but this passage talks about two groups of people. It talks about God's children, and it talks about the devil's children. Did you catch that? Two groups of people. According to Scripture, there are only two classes of people in the world. There are those who are children of God, and there are those who are not, and those who are not uh, belong to the devil. It sounds extraordinary to say, but maybe you remember uh, Jesus speaking with the Pharisees, uh, and he's having a disputation with them at some point, and they're not getting the point that he's making, and he just, he just says that you're, you're the children of the devil. That's why you don't get it. Two classes of people. And then uh, the Apostle John gives a little diagnostic for identifying who fits in what class. Two classes. How do you find out who is who? Okay, we don't get a tattoo with this on, uh, but there is a way of knowing who belongs in what class. And let me say in a preliminary way, a, a warning that I've offered a number of times from this pulpit is, is that it is our job to be examining our own lives and not the lives of our neighbors. Okay? Feel free to confess your sins all day long. I don't want to hear you confessing your neighbor's sins. 
Okay, do you understand the difference? It's very easy to identify the sin of other people. Uh, we are most blind to our own sin. So this diagnostic is a self-diagnostic. It is not a neighbor diagnostic. Let's take a look at what the, if you want to open up your bulletins, you can have that little passage there in front of you. It might be helpful for you to see it. In verse 8, we read, the devil has been sinning since the beginning. Anyone who continues to sin belongs to the devil. Okay? So the definition of the devil's kid is the one who continues to sin. And then a little further down, verse 9, we read this. Those who are God's children do not continue to sin. And so there's a, you know, 180 degrees over here. These are the ones who do not continue to sin. All right? That seems like a very simple test. I don't know if that bothers you. Raise your hand if you sinned this past week. I know I did. When we walk into this sanctuary, we walk underneath a sign that uh, contains the, I don't, what is that thing called? That's called a mission statement. That's what it is. I think it's a mission statement, right? I was thinking it was a motto. There's, like a, there's a mission statement that this church wrote. And the first line of that mission statement is, we are a fellowship of sinners. One of the distinctives of this congregation is that we recognize that we are sinful people. Anybody who's not a sinner, of course, doesn't need Christ. Christ came into this world not to round up the good people. Christ came into the world to save people who were lost, people who were sinning. And so we as reformed Christians are very attuned to the fact that as Christians we do sin. It's sin that required uh, uh, us to need a savior, but even those of us who are saved still have sin in our lives. And so when we read a passage like this, do not continue to sin, maybe we get a little bit worried there, and then we need to take a little closer look at what's being talked about here. This phrase, continue to, shows up several, several times in the passage that we read, and it's always referring to an unrepentant habit of sin, a lifestyle of sin, maybe you would call it. It's one thing to sin and regret that you've sinned and repent of it and ask for God's forgiveness. It's another thing to, th to sin and invite all your friends to come over and sin with you and march in a parade celebrating your sin. These are two different approaches to sin. It's been my experience as a pastor that when people sin, they will either run to God, looking for forgiveness, or they'll run away from God, afraid of condemnation. Okay? So when John is talking about those who continue in sin, he's talking about people who have got an unrepentant habit, a standard operating procedure. This is simply how I do it. This is who I am. This is my identity. Those people are not in Christ. They belong to the devil. Now, here's the, here's the bad news of the good news. 
The bad news of the good news is that all of us have been born in a condition that puts us on the highway to perdition. All of us are born into a fallen state. David says that he was sinful uh, from birth. We're born into this condition that we, are, we have original sin and then we continue to add uh, to the sin in the course of our lives. It's the natural uh, n- nature that we have. We're naturally selfish. We're naturally self-centered. We are always looking for our own way. We are disinclined to help others. And uh, this is the broad road that we are born onto. When we're born, we're already on this road. Jesus said that wide is the road that leads to death and narrow is the road that leads to life. This life that we were born onto leads to something, I don't know how to draw this. I didn't go to art school. It leads to something that Jesus, three times in the Gospel of Matthew, calls outer darkness. Total separation from God. If we remain in the path that we were born on, at the end of our lives, we will step off into eternity, into outer darkness. We will be entirely separated from the light of God. Now, while we're living this life, Even those of us who are on the highway to hell are enjoying God's benefits, okay? We call this common grace. God gives good things to all people, both the redeemed and the unredeemed. It rains upon the uh, the just and the unjust alike, okay? We call that common grace. But at the end of our lives, we get separate if we are on this path and we don't leave this path, we get cut off from God's common grace, And we go from a partly lit world where we have the opportunity to turn to God and we end up in just total darkness. We're totally separated from God for all eternity. Okay, That's the broad road. Now Jesus talked about another path. I always imagine it as a kind of a winding path. I don't know how you view it in your life. My path has not been very straight. Okay, Okay, it's a winding path. It's narrow. Is that okay, Joan? Right there. It's like, oh, <laughs> we'll talk about it later, okay? Yeah, it's been a winding path. There have been a lot of people praying for me along this way. But this path, this narrow path, leads to, uh, oh, I don't know if I can draw this. It leads to a city called New Jerusalem. We're told in the book of Revelation that at the uh, end of time that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and that all those who are redeemed are going to live in a city. It's a physical city on the new earth Um, and we'll live there forever in our our resurrected bodies. I've got a little flag here. This is the Jesus flag. Okay. He's King Jesus. That's where he lives. And then we'll live with him forever, in light forever. There are, two, there are two options in our life. We're, we're born on this path. We're born as enemies of God, but there's an opportunity that's offered to us 
to enter the other path, to turn around. We start out life walking this way, but if we encounter the word of God, we will hear about the law of God, and the law of God will tell us about how it is that God wants us to live, and if we have the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll compare how God wants us to live to how we are in fact living, and we'll realize that something is wrong. God said do this, and I keep doing this. God says live this way, and I keep living this way. And if I understand that God is a holy God and that God is a just God, and if I see that I'm living uh, out of step with his will and his way, I'm going to be aware that I'm under the wrath of God. There comes a time in the life of any individual who becomes a Christian wherein they are convicted of sin. It's part of the unpleasant part of being a Christian. I think it's one of the things that keeps people from being Christians most is because to become a Christian, you have to finally admit that, you know, I'm a sinner, that I actually deserve uh, to spend eternity in hell, that I consciously, willfully keep choosing stuff that I know is not good for me, that I know is contrary to God, and I keep doing it. And at some point, if we have uh, the favor of God, and if we have the word of God, we become convicted of the sin in our lives, and it should make you a little bit worried. I remember coming under conviction of sin when I was in the fourth grade. I had been Raised in a Christian family, my father was a, a missionary and a pastor, and uh, I had been raised in the church. And I don't, I don't know how this happens, but uh, you know, I remember it very distinctly in the fourth grade, sort of waking up to the reality. Oh, all of this stuff that I've been hearing about in, in my Sunday school class, all of these Bible stories that I know, that you know, this is about me. That it's not just those individuals who had sin in their lives, but I had sin in my life in a, as a fourth grader. And it terrified me when the light finally went on. And I went to my father and I said, what do I have to do to get saved? And he explained it the way that you would explain it to a young person, right? So in each of our lives, there needs to be a moment when we realize that outside of Christ, we have no hope. If we're counting on being right with God, if we're counting on being in a state of grace because we're better than our neighbors, then we're just fools because we've fallen short of the standard that God has, has held up. The bad news or the good news is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The bad news of the good news is, is that the wages of sin are death. All right? I have to accept that reality. I have to accept that God is a righteous judge, that his law cannot be violated without there being consequences to grab the good news of the gospel. When I understand the bad news of the gospel, I realize that I'm in a bad situation, that I need to do something about this, and then I go looking for help. All right? You don't look for a savior if you don't know that you're in trouble. Right? You don't go to the doctor if you don't know that you're sick. So this conviction of sin comes to us. It's a hard thing. It's unpleasant, but it's the spur that will lead us to repentance. If we are convicted of our sin and then place our hope and our trust in Christ, then we can be saved. Here's what happens in Jesus Christ. Well, let's take a look at it. This is 1 John 3, verse 5. 
You know that Christ came to take away people's sins. Thank goodness. Because I can't take away my own sin. What will wash away my sin? Turning over a new leaf? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What will wash away my sin? Trying harder? Nothing but the blood. What will wash away my sin? Having new intentions or resolves? No. Nothing but the blood. Okay? The only way that we get rid of the sin in our lives is if Christ takes that away from from us and we know from Scripture that that's precisely the reason that Christ came into the world. Look, God loves this world. We made a a mess of things in the beginning uh, and God sent his son to repair this mess. If we are convicted of sin, then we have the wonderful opportunity to repent. That's another hard part of being a Christian. Repent means to turn around and go in the other direction. We've been heading in this direction, the natural direction, and when we repent, we realize, oh, this is not right, I need to turn around, and I'm going to go from there, and I'm going to start heading back in the, in, in, the, in the opposite direction. The very first word of the gospel the very first word of the preaching of John the Baptist, the very first word of the preaching of Jesus was the word repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. All right. When you hear the good news that God is drawing near, the appropriate response is to repent, to turn around. Why? Well, because we're heading the wrong way. By nature, we're heading the wrong way. And so if we're going to get right with God, if we're going to be in a state of grace... We've got to turn around. We call that repenting. All right? Once we repent, we are then heading in the other direction. Once we repent, we've, we've left the big fat road and we're on the, on the, little, the little narrow road. Right? And on that road, there will be times when we go the wrong way. People who are born again, people who have been redeemed, people who are Christians, people who are on their way to heaven, there will be sin in your life. Don't freak out when it happens. What do you do when you sin? Well, there are two options. One is you run from God or you run to God. Those who are lost run away from God. They run toward outer darkness. Okay? Those who are redeemed, they run to God. We run to the cross. We run to the cross We run to the cross. When we sin, we run to Christ and we ask for forgiveness. All right? We're not living an unrepentant, habitual life of sin, but sin pops up like weeds in our garden. And we need to pluck them out and we take them to to the foot of Christ. Now, I want to take a look at the Psalm 51 passage Because the gospel is present in the Old Testament just as much as it's present in the New Testament. Psalm 51 was written after uh, King David had committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba, uh, you know, and David then does what a lot of us do after we've committed a big sin. He then does the, he then makes it worse by doing the cover-up, right? Like the 
the adultery was bad enough, but then he lies about it and, and he murders Uriah the Hittite. Is that right? That's what his name is, Uriah? Yeah, he murders Uriah. Okay, and so eventually God, God gets a hold of him and, and brings uh, repentance in the heart uh, of David. What I want you to, uh, to uh, look at uh, in this passage with me is who is it that is cleaning David? David has a serious blot on his record. He has committed a grievous sin. Take a look at these different passages. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Who's going to do the blotting and the washing and the cleansing? Well, God is. David has acknowledged his sin and he's gone to God and says, God, you've got to help me with this. I can't do it myself. I need you to blot out my transgressions. I need you to wash me thoroughly. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to purge me. I need you to wash me. So when sin crops up in our lives as it did in the life of David, and David was a man after God's own heart, when sin crops up in your life, even if you are a man or a woman after a God's own heart, you need to be asking for that forgiveness. It is God who does the work. It is God who purges. It is God who cleanses. It is not us. Christ was sent into this world to take away sins. And he did it by his shed blood. Christ did it uh, by his shed blood and not simply by uh, his moral example. So that is God's work. The second thing to recognize here is the response to God's work. Let me hear joy and gladness. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This conviction of sin is unpleasant. The repentance, you know, is a tough pill to swallow. But what always comes out of it is joy. We're put right with God. What we've done in the past, it's wiped away. It's clean. Okay, It's not on our record. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, two things happen. All of our sin gets nailed to the cross. Because Christ suffered for our sin, we can't suffer for it again. If we place place our sin on Christ, God in his justice will not punish us because Jesus has been punished already. So, Our sin goes to Jesus, but the perfect righteousness of Christ comes to us. When we stand before the judge on on our final day, uh, we will be robed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. We're going to stand, but we're going to stand before Almighty God, and He's going to look at us and He's going to see His own Son. We're going to be perfect and we're going to be beautiful. We're going to be His bride. This is the the double exchange. The question to ask is where are you? In this chart, are you still living the natural life, living according to the world and according to the flesh? It ends bad. It's actually unpleasant in this life too. But if you'll own that and repent of it, you can enjoy the pleasure that comes from, from knowing Christ. This morning we're going to gather around this table, well actually in about a minute, we're going to gather around this table 
uh, to celebrate what it is that Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you. We thank you that your word is true now and forevermore. We pray that you would convict us of our sins. Let us know who, who it is that we are. And I pray that you would give us the faith to cling to the cross of Christ alone. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Adonai.